I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Kieran. Hi, Eve. How's it going? It's going, you know, just doing open politics stuff. Hopefully we'll have protected bike lanes. We'll find out later. Mm. Mm, what so about so, so fun yeah i just want to not have to worry about my partner running errands that's all that's all i want in life right now honestly yeah no no getting doored on the way home from the no grocery getting store. doored no getting harassed by drivers parked in the buffered bike lane that is supposed to be adequate anyway how are you tough. I'm sweaty and hot. It's really hot in this house today. Oh, <laughs> but um, I'm fine. I don't have any big updates since last time we recorded. Just kind of doing the same thing. Yep. It's um, it's hot back summer, so you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we have some exciting guests here today. I'm so happy we were able to get everyone together. This is kind of the follow up on our conversation that we had with Garrison and Amy a couple weeks back. We're just kind of picking up where we left off and building off of it. So um, Marissa, Aiden, do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Marissa Siegel. I'm the editor-in-chief of a small literary magazine called The Rumpus, and I'm an American white Jewish woman. My family is also, they're, they're white practicing Jews. I am, I am a non-religious Jewish woman, uh, and I uh, wholeheartedly support Palestine, and um, that's been coming up a lot recently, so I'm excited to have this conversation. Yay. Do you want to tell folks a little bit about what, what happened when you started talking about it recently? Sure. Sure. I wasn't sure if that should be part of this. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so uh, so so the first thing that happened was I sent so the Rumpus has a weekly newsletter that goes out every Monday from or Tuesday, sorry, from me, uh, and it's it's a very informal letter about whatever I'm thinking about. That might be you know like a new pair of shoes I'm buying, or it might be a serious political issue. So really, like runs the gamut. And uh, about a month and a half ago, I think I wrote about the Israeli bombings on Palestine, the most recent. Uh, round of them, or I'm not sure it's the most recent now, but it was then. Um, Yes. And uh, so I received a tremendous amount of online harassment as a response to that. The newsletter also lost about 300 subscribers, uh, which is the first time that's ever happened, even though this is not the first time I've spoken politically. And then two weeks later, we are in a coalition with the Offing magazine, another small literary magazine, uh, and we are publishing a series of essays by the writer Oriel Marie. And Oriel also wrote about the situation in Palestine, um, particularly also some drawing some parallels with Black Lives Matters and also picking apart some parallels. And because that newsletter goes out from me, uh, I feel it's, it's important that I be the one to receive the feedback there. Um, Oriel is already doing a service by providing these essays for us. So there was a whole second wave of harassment, and Oriel is a uh, trans writer of color, and that second wave of harassment was significantly more violent. So I just think it's worth noting that because mm-hmm. there certainly was a difference between the harassment I received and then that second round. 
but both were pretty violent and uh, came from, you know, people who professed, even in their death threats to me, how liberal they are and how I just don't understand what I'm talking about. So um, I am not a scholar on, uh, you know, the Israel-Palestine situation. I am just a Jewish woman who grew up, uh, I went to Orthodox day school from K to five is probably relevant. Um, and so my, I, I had very early education in sort of the other side of this. Um, and, uh, but never, it never really sat well and I was picking it apart early. And so I've been having these conversations with my family and at school when I was younger uh, for a long time. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to, to talk a little bit more about that with you guys. Yay. Happy you. to have you. Aiden. Hi. Hi, everyone. It's so nice to be here. And thank you for having me and Kieran and Eve. And great to thanks for sharing that, uh, Marissa. I, um, yeah, I am also an American Jew, white and Ashkenazi. Um, my mom is American Jewish and my dad is Israeli Jewish. Um, so I come to this conversation as I try to understand my own experience and my family's experience and positioning um, in relationship to white supremacy and Christian supremacy and the ways in which we've both been targeted and uh, harmed in the last 2000 years. And also the ways in which we benefit and uphold this both here in the US and in the state of Israel, where a lot of my family currently lives, and where my American family, by nature of being American, are supporting and invested in. So yeah, I uh, spend a lot of my time thinking about Christian Zionism, thinking about Jewish Zionism, uh, and its connections with US imperialism, and also settler colonialism here in the US, and the an indigenous sovereignty here in the U.S. I am a, I would say I'm, I'm not an observant Jew, but I'm, I love being Jewish. I love Jewish ritual and tradition. And I come to this as a deeply, deeply self-loving Jew. And it was actually my coming to the topic of Palestine was only possible after I came to embrace my Judaism so much more deeply. Um, mm which is not always the, the path that, you know, the narrative that's told about, about us Jews that try to stand in solidarity with Palestine. That is very true and interesting. And I think I'd like to hear a little bit more about like both of y'all's sort of journey into understanding like in how you came to be in solidarity with Palestine given like backgrounds i think my answer is probably shorter only because um i don't feel like i have the depth of background that aiden has here so i i would say again that so i mean because i went to yeshiva from kindergarten to fifth grade you know my early education we spent half the day learning jewish studies and half the day learning regular school stuff and definitely my school particularly uh, was a school on long island uh, in new york had a a very uh, pro zionism perspective that was 
wholeheartedly and enthusiastically imparted to us as children from a very young age. Uh, like, I don't know that I, I only remember what, like knowing that Israel was the homeland and it belonged to us and then starting to question that, like no other viewpoint was that was presented to me in my early childhood until I started asking questions. And I would say, I don't want to give myself too much credit that even like through early childhood, I pushed it at this idea, but um, not in like a heavily critical way as much as a child could. And also, you know, a child who was dealing with other child stuff. Uh, So um, not insignificant child stuff. Uh, But by middle school, when I switched to public school, I did begin to have more access to people with diverse opinions on things uh, and just kind of more access to the world in general. And I uh, think that just by kind of watching the news, I don't know, for me, it is, I should say, not very personal. I do not have Israeli family. I have friends of family who are Israeli, but it, it just, it feels very removed. So I do have that privilege. And so to some extent, it's always felt very simple to me. I don't believe that a religious state is a great idea. Uh, I think that everyone should be allowed to live in the country of Israel. I think the, the founding of Israel and how it happened was problematic. But I also think that like going backward over and over again, isn't necessarily productive. So my feeling has always been to kind of support efforts for equality for everyone who's living in the state of Israel. Um, So it's, I guess it's also important to note that I do not support the idea of a religious government. Generally speaking, I think, you know, uh, even in America, our government is too religious. So yeah, yeah, I think a lot, a lot of freedoms, a lot of freedoms come from that actual separation you know, of church and states. And then certainly by the time I was in college, you know, I, I was reading things, I was learning things in, you know, global women's studies classes that I was taking that introduced perspectives to me. And I was reading the work of writers like Rhonda Girard and, um, you know, uh, now I'm thinking of more recent writers. So I'm talking about more recently. I just, I, I listen to what people are saying. And from my perspective, what's happened most recently in Israel is really aggressive, really violent. And, you know, what the words I used that really bothered people, what, what the, re- the thing that I said that provoked people was that this is apartheid and that this is genocide. And people really didn't like the use of my words. And I was attacked as a self-loathing Jew who didn't understand that Jews have experienced genocide. So I want to be really clear and say that I do very much understand that. It's why I always talk about being Jewish, because I know that I am a member of a group that is often persecuted and who a lot of people hate. And that is part of my identity. Uh, I just don't think that the genocide of one people justifies the genocide of another, and that more violence is ever a good solution. And I know that sounds pat, but like also... I really don't see how continuous state organized bombings of civilians could ever be a good thing. So, you know, uh, and when I wrote that newsletter, I got a lot of um, hate mail. And so I would say that since then, I've continued educating myself about this. And nothing has convinced me that I am a self-wielding Jew 
who has this all wrong. You know, I do know that it's complicated and that there may have been some things in the essay I didn't write that I don't wholeheartedly align myself with. But I also firmly believe as an editor and a publisher in publishing material that I don't always wholeheartedly agree with as long as it's thoughtful and, and you know, well-written. And I don't believe it was like encouraging dangerous violence. So yeah, I think that while yes, it's more acceptable to say these things now, my whole life has really made me feel like, no, it's not acceptable yeah. to say this ever. So sure. um, you know, except in these smaller conversations. The response seemed to surprise you quite a bit. It did. It really did. Because the rump is often, I, lo- I love it, but it's a little bit of an echo chamber where everyone sort of thinks the same way or thinks the same way about big political issues, I should say. And yeah. I would say that to the best of my knowledge, I mean, our editorial team feels the same way that I do about this issue. But our audience definitely does not. Uh, someone even wrote a whole article on some small uh, blog. I would say the name, but I, do, I truly do not remember. Yeah, it was a, um, a small personal blog and yes. who cares? Uh, about like how, you know, horrific the Rumpus's support of me and this these statements about apartheid and genocide are. There was also a lot of like explaining to me what those words mean. And so I also want to clarify that I have a master's degree and I've been an editor for over a decade and I knew exactly what words I was saying and why I was saying them. And you're them. a poet. So, you're, yes, you're, I am you all right. words. <laughs> I think at the sentence level. <laughs> you know what words mean and how to use them. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Eden, I'm going to let you, I feel like you've, you have a lot more background here. So. Yeah. Well, I actually grew up with, quite secular and my Israeli dad actually was always critical of the state of Israel and I didn't you know maybe Zionist in the sense of the state of Israel has a right a Jewish ethno state has a right to exist in Palestine but not uncritically Zionist my dad has a lot of the reason why I come to this topic is because my Israeli family are also, well, I'll, I'll speak to my dad. My dad has a lot of trauma growing up as, as an Israeli Jew, born in 1960, 12 years after the state was established. And his experience growing up was being, like thinking that they were going to be, like the Holocaust was going to happen again. And like they were going to be all killed. And like, this is the very early part of the state of Israel. And that's not to say that there was not a lot of Israeli propaganda that was that was purposely trying to get its population to have this fear. But mm-hmm. my dad is like his perspective, without speaking too much for him, is that he was brainwashed um, in this propaganda so that he would put his life on the line at 18 years old when he joined the Israeli army for this nation state that actually didn't care about him. And a lot of his friends were killed at 18, 19, 20 years old. And that is still, you know, every Israeli. And it still does. And he's, that was, you know, 40 or years ago. And so thinking about how the state of Israel, I personally don't believe, and this is, I think when, when we learn about Christian Zionism and British imperialism and U S imperialism, 
the state of Israel was neither created primarily for Jewish safety and still does not is still is not does not exist for Jewish safety. That is a narrative that is that is a PR campaign. That's smoke and mirrors to keep us from being aware of everybody else's economic interests in it. Exactly. And also looking at how the state of Israel has treated Ethiopian Jews and Mizrahi Jews, Jews from the Swana region, Sephardic Jews. Like Jews are not, this is actually, this. it's clear that this is not about Jewish safety. And it also has put my family in, and my dad in danger. And he almost lost his life. I come to this with that kind of, you know, my personal stake as a Jew in this is that this state, the state of Israel is actually, is actually serving purposes that are, you know, certainly my, my, I and my people benefit from um, to an extent, but that is actually, but I actually think we're very much hurt by it. And that's very intersectional with the ways which Palestinians are targeted. And of course, Palestinians are much more impacted than I am or my family are. But there's intersectionality too, looking at like global, like Western imperialism and the ways in which it's kind of created this situation um, and continues to uphold the situation for um, really the greatest benefit to Western nations um, and like their empire building project and not the like Jewish people and certainly not Palestinian people, um, mm -hmm. although they don't profess to actually ever care about Palestinians. So there's no question about right. the fact that Palestinians are not benefiting. They say the quiet part out loud there. Yeah. Right. What you just said about um, your dad and propaganda, like I feel like a light bulb just went off over my head because I, so I have told this separate anecdote many times in my life where that like we were indoctrinated as children at, at my school with a horrible fear of the Holocaust. I mean, we were shown like in kindergarten footage of footage I would never show to my six year old. I had used to have nightmares about the Holocaust and it never occurred to me, which is again to point to, I'm not super educated about this, that that was part of how we were made to believe that we needed that safety uh, is that I, I did feel until I was old enough to kind of like really grasp history and know what was going on with what that like the Holocaust could happen again to me at any moment. And that really, it did feel uh, like, yeah, like, like life and death, um, which isn't to say that again, sometimes being Jewish, it is life and death, but it never occurred to me before that that was a kind of propaganda. Um, so it's yeah. easier to control people when they're scared. And if you start when they're tiny children, too. Yeah, I mean, right. this feels very similar to, like, us being handed, you know, missionary martyr stories over and over and over again as kids mm. and, and being taught about, you know, the rapture is about to happen tomorrow. Get your shit together. Mm. Yeah. Christians are so persecuted because prayer in schools. <laughs> and that's obviously the slipping slope to... So Jail. that means that the government's going to take your kids tomorrow. <laughs> right. Cool. <laughs> well, I think it's it's interesting because when we look at U.S. imperialism and Christian Zionism, there's this fascinating video 
on PragerU, which is this right-wing website of General Chuck Wald, who's a former military commander in the U.S. Army, explaining why the U.S. funds Israel at $3.8 billion a year, which is far more than we fund any other country. And he's very honest that this is an investment that the U.S. expects to profit off of militarily and economically. And having the state of Israel there in, uh, you know, in Palestine is actually means that there are people who aren't Americans who are on the front lines and against this Muslim enemy, they are shedding their blood so that Americans don't have to. They are the ones whose blood is being spilled so that American blood is not being spilled. And when we think about this, it's like, oh, this is not like the, the, the manipulation of the Holocaust, of which my family, my grandfather, the only reason my grandfather also was in Israel is because his family had no choice but to escape mm-hmm. there from the Holocaust. And so to use that history and say that Israel is what's keeping, is the only thing that's going to keep Jews safe when actually the U.S. is invested in Jews being like this frontline force for them is it's astounding um it's a pun making machine yeah and exactly and from a and also from a kind of christian zionist perspective the um you know the state of israel was in part like balfour who wrote the balfour who wrote the balfour declaration promising jews a homeland in palestine was an avid anti-semite who did not want jews in england um and had pushed for legislation earlier in as prime minister when he was prime minister of britain to restrict jewish immigration to britain and actually saw the state of israel as a way as a convenient solution to the jewish question Uh, this kind of these jewish people who who've never been able to be assimilated or like are always kind of a nuisance to us like put them in palestine i mean it's this lincoln and the state of liberia model all over again Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right. Yes. And so when we see how actually anti-Semitism is a is a part of this machine, in addition to like complete disregard for Palestinian life and rights, um, and just actually denial that Palestinians even exist as a people, it's like, oh, like this whole thing is really the whole notion that Israel is for Jewish safety when it actually has a lot of anti-Semitism at its foundation, mm-hmm. it's, it becomes clear. It's not about Jewish safety at all. And yeah. the use of Jewish safety as like a justification for all this just serves to put Jews in greater danger. And it's always sort of astounded me that American Jews are so willing to believe that America really is invested in this for Jewish safety, because right. I've never particularly felt safe as a Jew in America. And I want to, also clarify that I say that as a Jewish woman living in New York, which is probably like one of the, who grew up on Long Island, I mean, (laughs) surrounded by other Jewish people and still was always aware. I mean, once I switched to public school, sure. Yeah. Anti-Semitic comments have been made to me my whole life uh, in jest by friends, you know, more pejoratively by people who are not my friends. And so this idea that, yeah, that America would have Jewish people's interests close to their heart 
is is bewildering to me. And so I'm going to share one other personal anecdote that I realize I didn't touch on. I don't want to talk. I'm only going to share a little bit about this because it's not my family. But my uh, I've been with my partner since we were in high school. So I've known their family for a long time. And uh, my mother-in-law is at ver- ha- has been at various points a born-again Christian, not always, but sometimes. And when she's active <laughs> with, with the church, there's that. So that is actually how I, that's how I learned about this Christian support for Zionism uh, mm-hmm. was in high school when she was handing out pamphlets supporting Israel. And I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. So I got all the way to like 15 thinking that this was a Jew, like, Jewish people issue, Jewish people supporting the country of Israel without knowing this whole other side of it. Also, because until 13, I really only knew Jewish people. So I hadn't had the opportunity to meet Christian people as much. But through that experience, yeah, I mean, I I have seen also, and and I want to say this in, I don't say a lot in my mother-in-law's defense, because she is a Trump supporter who believes a lot of things that I don't believe. Uh, but but there's a good amount of brainwashing that happens on that side, too. Mm-hmm. And even though she is not someone who, you know, from childhood was steeped in this, she is someone who's, I'm just going to say, uh, whose weaknesses were exploited to make her believe certain things and feel part of a group in a way that can happen with people who struggle in certain ways. And yep. so, um, so yeah, I mean, I remember like looking at one of these pamphlets and being like, you know, and I guess my, my other, the other like way I knew that was like the Jews for Jesus in the subway stations in New York oh, city. Yeah. And it isn't really even until these last, this last decade of my life, when I've come to know more ex-evangelicals and even be close to a good amount of ex-evangelicals that I've really learned that this was such a thing and not a thing specific to my mother-in-law. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's really, it's so widespread also, because again, she is not someone who comes from a background more similar to, you know, you or you, or you Kieran. I mean, she, she, again, like raised secularly, um, I mean, my but, parents were too. They were raised by right. atheists in Berkeley. Like, yep. yeah, they came to it. They came to it on their own. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I think one of the things that you know really kind of is a hallmark of that that not so much brainwashing, but like they making it easy to persuade people like my mom or your mother in law to, you know, be you know, pro-Zionist while they're Christian is, is this idea of plausible deniability for white innocence and like wanting to believe that they're good people. And it's, is feels like a really good way to be like, look, this is like writing the wrongs of history and like, you know, we can support the underdog and it just like feels like doing good. It's, you know, internet activism before internet activism. <laughs> It's easy to not look at it too closely. It also yeah. feels like there's something very specific, at least in my experience, and particularly in the responses that I got over this last month, uh, about white American women feeling strongly about this. Because usually when I get hate mail, it is for men uh, hmm. pretty exclusively, especially when it's violent. Uh, but this was almost entirely white women um, self-identifying themselves. Do that you have way any thoughts about why that might be? It seemed to me, I mean, again, I don't want to, 
I don't want to discount this idea that it is more acceptable to talk about these things, but it seemed to me that it felt to them acceptable to speak this way to me because of what I was saying about Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. Why do I think it was specifically white women? I mean, I think also, I mean, if I were guessing, and this is really just speculation, you know, it's an outlet for frustration to send an email to someone you don't know <laughs> and say hateful things. And women generally maybe have a little more frustration and don't as often do that. So this might have just been like an opportunity for some angry women to, uh, you know, yell at another woman. But uh, I, I don't know. I also think that there's maybe something specific about who's being br- drawn in to this. Mm-hmm. Because even if I think personal, like, it's, the the evangelicals I know who are now you know on the other side of the issue not that there aren't um, you know males or gender queer people but I'll, but it is overwhelmingly also female um, so I just I wonder I don't know I wonder a little bit about the gender dynamics of that and I would also wonder if I had been me but not you know a cis straight woman like if I had been uh, a man writing that email, what kind of responses would I have gotten? Because I think it probably would have been different. I got a lot of emails about my kid, which mm. always feels like a thing. Mm. Very, a very specific mm. way to harass a woman is to yeah. talk about her child and how you want to harm her child. So, um, you know, that always feels particularly targeted. Aiden, do you have any thoughts in terms of why white women might be electric around this issue like that i definitely don't pretend to be an expert on this i think maybe as a progressive or lefty publication that just might be more of the audience yeah that's definitely true yeah good point just women are more likely to be progressive and lefty or radical Mm -hmm. and yeah, th- that that was my initial thought, but I, I definitely don't pretend to know. Yeah, it definitely is our audience, especially after um, the ousting of Stephen during the, the <laughs> shitty men in media list and all of that that happened at kind of the peak of the Me Too. Stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I can share that demographically we are, it's an overwhelmingly female and genderqueer audience. We do have a male audience, but it's much smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also kind of interesting. This sort of reminded me of like the difference in like people's Twitter feeds. I remember when this was sort of like more in the news a couple weeks ago that one of my friends in the group chat was like, wow, it's so hard to be pro-Palestine. And me and my partner who live in Oakland we're like, what are you talking about? Everyone, everyone on my feed is like, we obviously are in solidarity with Palestine. And like, there was no, it wasn't controversial in like my kind of local sphere, but it was for my friend in Minneapolis. And we both, like, we all follow kind of like very lefty people but there is a difference in the dynamic and I think some of it may have to do with like where you are, like the area that they live in in Minneapolis is very, very white 
Oakland is not that white and is much more racially and ethnically diverse. It's interesting, though, because I I saw so many people on my Facebook feed. I don't really use Facebook except for all my siblings are on there, so I stalk them. But (laughs) (laughs) the like they're in the suburbs of Richmond and the Virginia and uh, a lot of people I grew up with who have become more. I would say they would probably be moderate Democrats now. They've they've done a lot of deconstructing. They're they're you know maybe homeschooling their kids, but doing unschooling and you know not not being fundamentalist Christians at at all. Um, but a lot of them were posting in solidarity with Palestine, which I thought was really interesting, and that's part of what made me wonder like. Is this suddenly more acceptable to to say um, if my, you know, white suburban middle class people there are saying that um, it feels like it's less risky because I it feels like, you know, I, I've told this story in the last time we recorded, but like, you know, I was 2017 running a conference for that was adjacent to the DSCC annual convention on Martha's Vineyard. And so there were a lot of like Democrat organizing people there on this, at this meeting. And I was at the bar with some people afterward. And I said something vaguely pro-Palestine. And this guy went off on me being like, your boss is Jewish. How could you say that? Like, just, you know, I didn't, you know, how could you be an anti-Semite? And I'm just like, hang on, what? And so it just feels like a very stark difference Hmm. since then. I wonder if it's a difference too between like, perhaps it is more accepted, but within the, because most of the responses I got were from Jewish women, maybe within the Jewish community, that change isn't as significant as kind of that out, that outside the Jewish community, either specifically evangelical or just, you know, non-Jewish liberal community. Um, because it definitely, I mean, the, the more thoughtful, I'm going to be generous and use the word thoughtful emails I got. So, so basically I mean the ones that were not just like straight up, your son should get bombed because something else that, you know, just to remind you guys, this is a personal newsletter. So these are people who have read things about my life and are able to like, you know, pull details about my life is why they have this information. The more thoughtful emails were a very focused on what it means to be Jewish and what I didn't understand about that. I got a, a, at least three or four emails explaining that my yeshiva experience was probably to blame because, you know, I was taught to hate being Jewish. And so uh, in case any of those people are listening, I'm also going to share that I have had a generally very positive experience of being Jewish. While I am not religious, I participate in many Jewish cultural things with my larger family. Um, I am fortunate to have a larger family who, while they don't always agree with me on things, they're willing to engage in conversation on those things. So um, I've actually seen progress happen there a little bit over time with a few family members. But I think that there's something maybe specifically to the Jewish community where it hasn't changed as much. Mm. And part of that goes back to, again, I think this idea this idea of the self-loathing Jew, like if you're not pro-Zionist, you must like hate yourself because you're putting yourself in danger by not being mm. Zionist, you know, and just, I think as I'm still turning over in my head, 
that light bulb idea from what Aiden had said, but like, I just really think that, yeah, we're all taught that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm half Ashkenazi and half Sephardic. So on my father's side of the family, the Sephardic side, the being chased out of countries actually started well before the Holocaust. My grandmother, um, who has now passed away many, many decades, but um, she, I mean, she, her family was chased out of Spain, you know, hundred years before the Holocaust. So like, it's not that whole justification of the Holocaust. That's part of, I think, why for me it also feels a little shaky because Jews have been, I mean, there's Italy, there, I mean, Spain, like there's so many countries that we've been purged from that, again, I just wonder if, I mean, if Russia people could have doing these that and Russia helped liberate. Right, exactly. Like, well, and, and America, yeah. again, like America is not a place where I have felt like Jews are very welcome everywhere by any mm-hmm. means. So I just really, that's the part that boggles my mind about people like buying into this so wholeheartedly. And I wonder if there were more education, you know, at an earlier age or, or in like reaching, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's a lot of misinformation. Yeah. Also, I, think I it's feel really like a lot of these women were trying to do good, I think is what I'm saying mm-hmm. by emailing me. Like they were trying, they, they really, be- like they really believed that they were like educating me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you mention everyone being like, well, you're a self-loathing view because that Aiden, when you were introducing yourself and said you came to this out of a place of like self-love, I'm really curious to know like what that looked like like can you unpack that a little bit since the self-loathing narrative is obviously wrong yeah totally I well to build on from the story I was telling earlier and how I grew up you know with a dad who was critical of Israel my dad also just like had a lot of critique of Judaism in general And there's kind of this equation of like Israel and Judaism and both are dangerous and both. Mm. And also his father is a Holocaust survivor. And so Judaism is some like separate yourself from Judaism. And that's actually will keep us safer. And so I kind of grew up like really loathing Judaism and Israel as like intertwined. And when I was in college, I was doing, I was, you know, working with um, the Tongva indigenous community in in what is now Southern California. And they would always ask me, they'd introduce themselves by where they're from and what land they're from. And they'd ask me where I'm from. And I never had an answer to that question because I separated myself from, from, from Judaism and from, from Israel. And, you know, my mom's family in Eastern Europe, like they also separated themselves from there because it was too, it was traumatic. And so I didn't know where where I came from. And I had separated myself from Judaism and Israel my whole life. But they really sparked this question of like, where are you from? Where are you from? And I started asking that and started learning about my family history and Jewish roots. And I was like, wow, there's so much beautiful. There's so much here. There's so much tradition, so much that exists outside of the state of Israel and um, is separate from Zionism. Um, And actually, like when my dad was like, you know, kind of instilled in me that Judaism is, I, I don't think he did this intent and consciously, but like, just like this idea that Judaism is dangerous and like run away, like stay away from it. 
like actually I was realizing that there's all these beautiful traditions and community and like it's it's amazing actually and I as I started to dive into Jew- Jewishness and Judaism more and loving it I also like learned yeah like how Judaism or sorry how my family's experience also in the state of Israel has been harmful to them and um, started like why and asking why my why why I was separated from Judaism for so long and how Zionism one of the effects of Zionism on my family was to actually loathe Judaism and separate ourselves from our our traditions and our history because Zionism mm-hmm. kind of like paints over all of that with a broad brush and like turns Judaism into kind of just a national a nationalism. Um, I'm not sure if this is being super clear, but I, I just like so the more coming... you got into the actual practice and traditions of Judaism, the more you were able to disconnect it from the nationalism and the, the kind of underlying fascism there. Exactly. Like I don't just, know if that's exactly. a stronger word to use for that, but well, just dis- disconnect my like realize Judaism is separate from Zionism. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I think to some of what Marissa's saying and some of the people that were responding to you, it is so deeply ingrained in so many of us, so many Jews growing up here in the U.S. and also in Israel that Zionism is Judaism and to be Jewish is to be a Zionist and is to support the state of Israel no matter what. And this is coming this is very much a present dynamic in, in Jewish communities, but, and also Christian and like a lot of Christian communities too, that like Jews are equal to the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jews are only Jewish so long as they are supportive of the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. And as I learn more about Christian Zionism, I realize this is like, like we as Jews are supposed to accept Israel as, our savior, essentially. <laughs> otherwise, we're damned. Otherwise, we're we're damned. And Jewish tradition, at least in the Ashkenazi tradition, is all about questioning. And there's never like one right answer to anything. Mm-hmm. But with the state of Israel, it's like this is the thing that cannot be questioned. Its existence cannot be questioned. And that to me feels like yes, either we accept Israel as our savior, literally the thing that will save us from anti-Semitism. Or we are like damned. And that's exactly how it was presented to me as a child. It's so interesting to hear you talk about your father who kind of like told you early on that Zionism does not have, or you were able to see that. I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't fully understand. I remember before I even really understood what any of this was marching in the Israeli day parade in New York city and like being like, what are we doing here like I don't a thing I used to say to my mom a lot is are you going to make me move to Israel like I don't understand I live in America I don't want to move to Israel I want to be Jewish here like what's the deal with the talking about you know returning to Israel you know every year at the Passover Seder we sing like next year in Jerusalem and I'm like okay could we just be here next year and when I was like five you know that felt like a really real thing because it's, it was in everything, the songs I learned, the, the the rituals that were religious, but also the non-religious stuff we did at school. I mean, it was all about mm-hmm. the state of Israel and the Jews. So that, that equating of those two things is so real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. that like uh, America reinforces that because obviously it serves its own 
purposes, as you all spoke to really, you know, clearly. And so I don't, I don't know what the, what these American leftist liberals don't see about that. That's a little hard for me to understand, like that, what they're not getting there, that they can see it in other things America does, but not this one thing. Yeah. I think it's been interesting, Aiden, you've been connecting this to, um, indigenous issues a little bit um and i think it's really interesting how i've watched people as they became aware of what was happening with the dakota access pipeline i felt like there was a light bulb moment that happened for a lot of people in the left in terms of like understanding indigenous issues better through the like you know, massive publicity of that situation that suddenly gave them a metaphor for understanding the Palestinian situation much better. Yeah, I think, I think Palestinian organizers have, and indigenous organizers here have have long been in solidarity with each other and have made those connections really clear. And the same way that, again, like, imperialism and and zionism like how zionism is also a part of u.s national identity and Mm -hmm. how early puritans and colonists here in the u.s called themselves the new jews who are taking who this is god-given land turtle island is god-given land and so i think indigenous folks palestinians have been making those connections for a long time and also Black organizers and Palestinian organizers too, mm-hmm. making those connections the way mm-hmm. that white supremacy is undergirding the the this both of these states, the U.S. and Israel. Um, so, yeah, I really I, I agree with that, and I think that over time, especially with Trump as president, it mm-hmm. also just became it's harder to ignore um, the connections. Trump and Netanyahu were, yeah buddy buddy mm-hmm. well another thing about trump that was really interesting is because everybody was so blanket critical of him and not, i mean everybody i mean on the left mm-hmm. anything he did was heinous and like you you would mine it for for something that was ridiculous and mockable and and what was interesting to me was that he did, wasn't doing a ton to change foreign policy I, he was he was he was being offensive personally, and he moved the embassy mm. to Jerusalem, and that was a big big deal. But a lot of the the other things that he did were maintaining the like, status quo, and so as people were more aware of them, they became more willing to criticize them because he was the one sustaining it, and so now it's it's more obvious because they were looking for it then. Although he also had a huge supporter base in American Jews, particularly Orthodox and Hasidic mm-hmm. Jews. But I mean, even I'm just thinking of the local community, which I still have enough ties to, to kind of know what's going on there on Long Island. Uh, and the, I mean, those schools still exist. Uh, I mean, they, they were very pro-Trump. Um, even I know, and I, so I, I have one family friend who is a very progressive minded Orthodox Jew, although different different perspective on the Palestine issue there uh, yeah. between us. But I mean, she did not support Trump, mm-hmm. but would still say, 
but at least he supports Israel, you know? Right. So it was like, I think for that, you know, for them, that, that was enough, which says a lot because Trump is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well, I mean, that's so. the same. That sounds very similar to the, the single issue voting Christians on who are like, well, at least he's pro-life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Although I, th- his Trump's foreign policy on Israel was very much appeasing his evangelical Christian base um, mm-hmm. who voted for him. I think 80% of mm-hmm. evangelicals who are also like something like a quarter of the entire U S voting bloc. Yeah. Please correct me if I, if I misspoke. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm well, just to say there, there is a, there is a significant population of Jews that did support Trump, but actually something like 70 or something percent of Jews voted against him both in 2016 and 2020 and Jews being something like two or less than 2% of the American population. Mm. We're not, he was not, his foreign policy in Israel was not specifically like appeasing his Jewish voters, but that's Mm -hmm. not to like also ignore that. Like there were a significant number of Jews that did support him. um, Mm -hmm. And Definitely this progressive except for Palestine stance is very common in Jewish communities here in the U.S. where you can be progressive on a lot of issues, but around Palestine, that's like, yeah, that's no go. Aiden, I'm curious if you also sometimes feel like Zionism mm-hmm. is is meant to like also sometimes foment like arguments between like it's divisive for Jewish people. Uh, which mm. in other ways serves other American projects. I feel like mm. for America, Jews are good white Americans when we're talking about the state of Israel, and we are not white Americans when they're talking when certain groups of you know white nationalist Americans are talking about Jewish people. If we're not talking about the state of Israel, mm. and so I'll also share that. I did get some specific harassment, and this is the first time that that's ever happened to me around the fact that I'm half Sephardic. Mm. Because there, so I, I don't really know enough to speak very smartly about this. So, Aiden, if I say something that's totally off, please correct me. But Ashkenazi Jews generally come from Eastern Europe uh, and are fairer skinned. Sephardic Jews, uh, or at least my family, Sephardic Jews come from Spain, Greece, and are darker skinned. So my sister looks nothing like me. Uh, she got like all the Sephardic genes. And I mean, sure, she's still white presenting. But again, they, they draw, these lines are there and they can use that to turn this group to their advantage when they want to. And also, you know, make us fighting enough that we can't be that effective. Yeah, I mean, I think that power often benefits when there's, you know, infighting amongst groups that are either targeted or oppressed because it distracts from the power that be. Whereas, and I see this very much in the way that very, very few Jews in progressive spaces are left even know what Christian Zionism is. And also how in Jewish progressive spaces, I do not see very much understanding of how U.S. imperialism or not much conversation about how U.S. imperialism undergirds the state of Israel um, and how these are big, powerful forces that 
we're not even paying attention to. Um, and I don't, and some, and so long as Jews are fighting each other and not looking at like larger systems of power, I think it does, I think it does serve to um, not just reinforce the status quo, but allow those in power to continue moving forward in their agendas, whether it's in Jewish interests or not. Mm -hmm. I think white capitalist hierarchy really does tend to benefit from, from this. And there's like a long history of this in various different minority groups of, you know, uh, keeping, playing gatekeeping, playing purity, Mm -hmm. uh, testing. Um, I mean, you think about like the color line and, you know, respectability politics and like, you know, trying to pit uh, physically disabled people against mentally disabled people. And like, just like, like there's, yeah. this is, this is a long, has a long tradition of yeah. like divide and conquer. And, yeah. and this is something that um, Karen and I talk a lot about in terms of the leftist organizing that we are part of or observing where it's really easy for people to get distracted by these kinds of conversations. And this is what the right is really good at not wasting time on. Mm -hmm. yeah. And just, just to clarify too, to your point, Marissa, about Ashkenazi and Sephardi, Ashkenazi Jews also, like white Ashkenazi Jews have, you know, also aligned themselves. Many of us have aligned ourselves with, with the kind of systems of white supremacy and Christian supremacy at the expense of Sephardi Jews and at the expense of Mizrahi and, and Ethiopian Jews. Um, and so I just want to also clarify that there's also agency and choice that um, particularly like lighter skin and white Ashkenazi Jews are able, like do make the choice to align with, with mm -hmm. those in power rather than challenge the power. And that's also how these systems gain strength. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not people like to align themselves with whatever it is that's benefiting them. And if they never experience like that power turning on them, there is no reason to question <laughs> mm -hmm. what's going on. It's like, oh, well, obviously, you know, America should support Israel because the Jews and they don't because they're not being harmed buy it they don't bother to like interrogate it marissa this is why you see more female and queer xvs because the system is not des designed to support them and right. so they are the ones who see through it and the ones who don't need to don't need to yeah that makes that makes so much sense now that i don't know i don't know why i need you to say that loud to me but yes of course <laughs> Yeah. I mean, particularly in like this, I mean, I know more about like where your background and uh, mm -hmm. some, some other editors who come from similar backgrounds. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I could see why if you're a woman or queer, you would be more likely to see that you need to get out of that and see what that is. And the other element that I think drives that demographic leaving is, and I think this might have some overlap with what y'all are talking about too, um, the ones that leave are the ones that were the true believers that took it as seriously as possible mm -hmm. and found that it was not consistent internally and was that the rules were moving targets being used against them. And once, once that taking it in earnest 
all the way to the end of the line and seeing the man behind the curtain and realizing all these rules are fake and arbitrary. That's a, that's a real quick way out. So I wonder too, if Aiden, if your dad's experience has, has some of that driving it because he, he saw through it because he was, we, he was up close. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, sh- I think that, you know, there's so many Israelis that are in the army and their friends are killed. And in some ways that reinforces their commitment to the state of Israel as a, you know, it's almost a positive feedback loop that like, mm-hmm. oh, we're being killed. Therefore we need to fight harder or we need mm-hmm. to do more. And also like if you're conscripting the army and you put your life on the line and your friends are killed, I can't imagine what it trauma bonds, what it, trauma bonds. And like, also like what it takes to be like, that was actually for a state that doesn't care about me. And like, that was maybe, you know, mm-hmm. like I shouldn't have had to do that, mm-hmm. but that's not my experience. Um, and I mm-hmm. and I feel a lot of privilege as an American Jew that I don't have to. I'm not. I don't have to. I'm not conscripting the army. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you know, also the way in which maybe the some of the left has shifted on the issue of Palestine. It's like people are being hurt and traumatized, especially Palestinians. And they are, people are speaking out. And this this truth and this narrative that, you know, Israel is there to keep Jews safe and is the only possible solution to anti-Semitism. Just, it doesn't hold when, you know, when Palestinians are being, are, are paying the price for the mm-hmm. Holocaust and paying the price for 2000 years of European and anti-Semitism. It just doesn't, it doesn't hold that this is actually this, this, the system that's going to keep Jews safe. And so yeah. I don't know if that really answered your question, but. No, but that makes, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, when, when your state is doing the thing to other people that it was allegedly created to stop from happening again, like that, that's just like a huge, like dissonance and it's, it's right. ridiculous. There's also always this turn to like history when we're like, and when I say history, I mean like capital H history, but it's a very specific capital H history when we Mm -hmm. talk about Israel and like, you know, the, the Bible and like who Jerusalem belongs to that, in my opinion, doesn't hold when we're talking about current modern day politics, but yet it's continually brought back to there. And also the other problem is, is that as Aiden keeps bringing up, there's this history, capital H again, of U.S. imperialism. But that history is not talked about when we talk about Israel, but we go back thousands of years to this other history that's like super removed from any reality that truly anyone living today really, you know, is living with. So mm-hmm. part of, I think, what like flabbergasts me about the adherence to this with no questioning is that is this like disconnect in in putting together like what you know especially for progressive educated older you know leftist jewish people you know who i know who are very forward thinking on even issues that challenge you know orthodox jewish beliefs but not on israel and 
they don't they just don't apply those same things that they apply to all these other instances to this one thing because because what would that mean you know that that would mm-hmm. mean that that they're all in danger and also i think it would mean they'd have to admit they'd been like fooled for a long time and yeah. that yeah. that actually the danger is bigger and different mm-hmm. than the danger being presented you know yes it's a huge vulnerability to yep. take on yeah yeah it's astounding to me that jews have bought into the idea that the state of israel which is deeply aligned with anti-semitic governments around the world and it's kind of aligned with the same folks who have kind of been oppressing at least European Jews for like 2,000 years. Like, oh, so now aligning with those folks is somehow going to keep <laughs> us safe? This is supposed to work out well how? Yeah. And that Palestinians are now the greatest threat to Jews ever. And they are, they don't have like a military. They don't have like they they've never like they're the history of palestinian anti like they're not even like they're just fighting they want liberation and freedom from an oppressive occupation and apartheid system and that's like somehow that is where anti-semitism is like located and not within like millions of like anti-semitic christian zionists it just doesn't make it's just it's we've been fooled (laughs) well and the refusal to use these these words these very specific words like apartheid and genocide because again almost all of what the response i got i think what especially the thoughtful ones especially the not just death threats were about those two words and my choice to use them so like it's okay to be critical of israel but it's not okay to say that You know, Mm -hmm. that was definitely like the main message. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, I'm critical of Israel too, but to call it apartheid, no. To call it genocide, no. This is not a concerted effort to kill a certain kind of person. And I'm like, well, again, I know what these words mean. And I'm I'm just looking at systems like that where genocide has happened before or is happening now in other places. You know, that's what this is. It doesn't mean that I think all Jews are guilty of committing genocide to say that, but I do feel there's this defensive, like, mm-hmm. if we admit that, like, what responsibility do we have to own? And it's like, so own some responsibility, you know? And then, yeah. like, we can move forward from there because owning responsibility in my in my own life is kind of where I've learned most change comes from. <laughs> so I think yeah. as a group, too, you know, that's often an important first step. Well, it's like having and being willing to have a nuanced narrative about yourself and others, you know, I may be an abuse victim, but I may also be capable of causing harm in other people's lives. It can be both. And exactly. Both things can be true at the same time. Uh-huh. Which so is there I know anything- is ridiculously mind blowing. <laughs> is there anything that we haven't covered that y'all want to comment on or add or bring up? I feel like I wish we had like something like a solution to offer or like, so, but I don't, but I don't. So Aiden, I don't know if you, cause you, you do more political organizing have any thoughts. I just wish we could like say something 
toward how we could better educate people, you know, mm. but I, I, in my experience, it's been a lot of slow, small conversations on the very local level. So I'm talking like me and my mom hashing this yeah. out over my entire life and I'm going to be 38 this month. So yeah, but that's how sustainable development actually works. Right. So, I mean, and I will say, you know, does she still support Israel? Yes. Did she support the bombings that happened recently? No. And that's a big, that feels like a small change, but it's a big change Mm -hmm. from when I was a child uh, Mm -hmm. and the line she would have taken then. She -hmm. didn't support Netanyahu for for a few years now, which is a big change from when Mm -hmm. I was a child. So maybe that's a hopeful thing I can, I can share is that those, those conversations do matter. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that they can't possibly, they can't be understated how important conversations and, you know, going where we have relationships are. I think, yeah, I mean, I think, like, as a Jewish person, I see Palestinian freedom movements as, like, I'm in solidarity with them because I... Palestine should be free, like point, point, period, like that, and that should be enough. But like sometimes, but also like it's important, I think, and I've been challenged by this. Like, what is my stake in this? And I think as Jews, it's important for us to talk to each other about what our stakes are, and we all have different stakes because we come from different experiences. But I understand the Palestine, Palestine freedom movement for Palestine liberation, they are the ones who are leading by necessity the fight against U.S. imperialism and Christian supremacy and white supremacy, things that are the reason my family is even in Israel in the first place. And so me being in solidarity with Palestine is actually like me joining the fight against these systems that murdered so much of my family and kicked my family out of Europe after living there for generations. So I think Jews understand their stake as their stake is in the safety of Israel. And I actually think Jews need to understand that our stake is in the safety of Palestinians. Um, and in some ways that's easy to say and logistically what that looks like is, is more difficult. But I think also having conversations about what, what does Jewish safety look like out of the state of Israel? Because right now, so many of us are bought into the fact that our safety is only possible because of Israel. And as I've been trying to say, I like think that our safety is deeply threatened by the state of Israel. And we're sold a lie that Israel is here to keep us safe. And I, and the last thing I'll say is in order to break this idea that Jewish safety is reliant on the state of Israel, we have to talk about U.S. imperialism. We have to talk about Christian Zionism mm-hmm. because that makes it so clear like why the state of Israel exists, not just US imperialism, but like Western imperialism, including British um, and French and why the state of, like look at why the state of Israel exists, know that it's not about Jewish safety. It's actually at the expense of Jews. And we didn't really get into this, but like both the like ways in which Jews are set up as like a frontline force against a supposed Muslim enemy and the way in which Jews are supposed to bring about this kind of end times prophecy um, and the second coming of Jesus by being in Israel. Yeah. John Hagee, who is close ally of Netanyahu, former prime minister, 
of mm-hmm. Israel and has and leader of the largest pro-Israel lobby in the U.S. has said that the Holocaust was God's will to get Jews to return to the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. So I all that, that to say. Up. Yep, that's yeah. not new propaganda. Yeah. But I think it would be new for a lot of American Jews. Again, I had no idea exactly. until my teens. Yes. And my I came from a progressive and educated family, again, except on this one issue. And and we just and even in school when I learned about your US imperialism, you don't get yeah. the like whole picture of right. US imperialism. Right. And oh, that's no, a they're public not gonna teach school. you how to dismantle their own system in the system. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I think it's and I also didn't grow up knowing I didn't know Christian Zionism existed until a few years ago. I also grew up a lot of around a lot of Jews not around a lot of like Christian Zionists, at least that were like outward, outward about it. And I think like, there's so much that you all running this podcast actually can teach to a lot of American Jews about um, from your own personal experience. And I think Jews need to hear this from y'all because I say these things and you know, that John Hagee has said this about the Holocaust that, it was God's will to get Jews to return to Israel. And they're like, really? Like, that's ridiculous. He And he's not, he's not new. He's like getting this from he's like William Bradford yeah. and Martin Luther. Like it's yeah. old as fuck. It's old. It's deep. It's ingrained in American national identity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So all that to say is let's break down <laughs> the systems that have set up the state of Israel that are setting up, apartheid against Palestinians, ethnic cleansing, displacement of Palestinians. And it becomes really, when we look at power, it looks, it becomes really clear what's happening. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be stuck so long as we continue to kind of like, we're still in this framework of like, well, but, you know, if, if, if we just like talk about Israelis and Palestinians and don't talk about like the larger, the other, the larger systems of power. Yeah. It always it always starts to unravel when you start asking what can't we question? And that's mm-hmm. that's how you dismantle a cult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I come up against something that I'm not supposed to question, I'm like, why? Uh-huh. <laughs> what what are you hiding? What is this yeah. serving? Like show me the money. Yeah. Right. Show me the money. Oh yeah, if you just follow the money. That's like that's, the power what can't yeah. you question that's... and where's the fucking money? It's right. always right there. Yeah, follow the money and like that's actually what's driving this whole thing. Yeah. yeah. If Israel yeah. wasn't profitable for the US, we would not support Israel. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally it's often because... not actually helping the like the people, the evangelical Christians on the ground. Like it's it's sometimes even hurting them. So I feel again, like it's yes, it's this questioning of like, why am I doing this? And like mm-hmm. I think I'm really interested, Aiden, in what you said for Jewish people to be questioning what is my stake in this? Because I don't even know, honestly, right now, how I would answer that question. That's something I would need to give some thought to. Because mm. my stake in it is, is like, moving and also, like, shifting, I mean, and not, not it doesn't feel super personal, but in some ways it's also very personal. So mm. it's, a, yeah. it's an interesting question that I think I'm going to be asking some of my Jewish friends to talk to me about. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your insights and educating us. We really appreciate it. If people want to find you online and, uh, you know, follow your, your work, where can they find you? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Marissa with one S M A R I S A says tweet. And I'm also on the internet at marissasegal.com and that will point you to all my other online places. Um, I need to be much better at social media, but my Twitter, <laughs> my Twitter is A-I-D-A-N-O-R-L-Y, at A-I-D-A-N-O-R-L-Y, I believe. And also my email is my aiden.orly at gmail.com um, and would love to, you know, happy to continue these conversations. And yeah, and Marissa, if you ever want to talk about what our stakes are in Absolutely. Palestinian liberation, I... I'm always down for that conversation. And no, this was such a great conversation. It was really lovely to be to be in conversation with all three of you. Yes. I'm so glad we made this Agreed. happen. Yeah, me too. This was really helpful and informative and like not not surprising that the answer is uh white supremacy and christian nationalism and it all was that it white seems supremacy to be an overarching theme in our lives uh-huh. but also like it's it's weird how kind of similar messages we got to what y'all got as well with like the state of israel being this unquestionable thing that mm-hmm. is important for the u.s to uphold and you just have to like if you don't if you don't do that you're a bad person and also just mm-hmm. like they like let's instill fear of an amorphous undefined threat in small children mm-hmm. so that they will comply yeah like, yeah mm-hmm. textbook yeah. indoctrination right there yeah and just like the theme of like both being you know people being harmed by something but also being agents of reproducing that harm onto mm-hmm. others sometimes mm-hmm. yeah yeah they're all important things well thank you so much thank you so much this was so good we will definitely do this again sometime (laughs) i look forward to it (laughs) all right y'all take care you too thank you thank y'all for listening to us uh ramble on and joining us this time thank you so much to dave the great for making us sound good every single week And if you like the music on this podcast, that is due to the heavens. The song is Janet from their album Stenazzo. Thank you for letting us use your music. Uh, You can support the podcast and join the Slack by going to Patreon, which is patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. We have a good time. There's a lot of real good animal pictures and we, you know, bitch about brains being fragile soup and other things. It's great. You should join us. If you have any questions or comments that are nice or constructive, <laughs> uh, you, can, <laughs> you can email us at at gmail.com or poke us on Twitter at kitchencoltpod. Thanks for listening. As always, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.